Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Imagine you, you, you prophesying drought for three and a half years, no rain at all, and you're part of that drought. But you have to, you, you have to deliver the word like, oh my God, I'm going to be part of this too because of these knuckleheads, right? So imagine after three and a half years, you're saying, surely this will change the nation, and it doesn't. Right? You get frustrated, right? So I, I used to preach also that, hey, well, Elijah was just frustrated. That's why, you know, he kind of went the opposite direction. But last week, if you read in the NLT, the Bible says, and Elijah was afraid. I mean, you could break that down however you want. Afraid is afraid. So that means through words, Jezebel released a demonically laced threat. Now, why do I say threat? Because if you remember, I said it for two weeks in a row, the the Webster Dictionary for Intimidation is what? Come on. If you guys have been here for the last three weeks, the Webster Dictionary for Intimidation is to deter. I know it by memory because I've read it so much. to, To deter someone, watch this, from their original destination and purpose by threats. Now, what I mean by threats, it doesn't mean I'm going to kill you only. It's by threats of what you feel they're going to react. Sometimes you avoid dealing with situations because you, you don't want to avoid the drama that it takes to correct a problem. Come on, don't make me preach good this morning. It's, it's, you you want to avoid a problem. You want to avoid a problem and therefore shut up and don't say anything. And that is the fruit of intimidation. It's the fruit of intimidation. And I opened up the message the last two weeks, and I'm only going to share two or three of them. But I, I, I opened up with five questions. Do you guys remember that? The first question that I opened up with two weeks ago and last week was this. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. This is a question. Do you find it hard to say no to people when you want to say yes to them? Or when you want to say yes to them, it's hard for you to say no. Do you freeze or paralyze yourself when you have to do something in action to resolve a matter but don't want to do it. You freeze in fear. Number three, do you feel guilty when you say no? Let that sink in. Do you feel guilty every time within yourself you say, I think I don't want to do that. But you're almost forced to say, I'll do that because you don't want to let someone down or you're afraid of their reaction. Those are classic fruits of being under intimidation. Now, I want you, so with that said, with that said, uh, I, want you, I want to give you now the spiritual definition of intimidation. We talked about the, phys, the physical uh, definition, right, of intimidation, right? Come on, Webster Dictionary, right? is to deter. Everybody say deter. In other words, you're going this way, and you're supposed to talk to somebody, and you're supposed to resolve a matter, but intimidation says, don't do it. They're going to be mean to you. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody. Don't go. Just stay quiet. The, the, the situation will resolve itself on its own. You know, it's funny that we don't think about that when we go to surgery, do we? We don't think like, you know what? I'm just going to lay down, and there's no doctors going to cut on me. The Lord is going to cut on me. The Lord is going to take those, those scalpels and those surgical tools, and he himself is going to have surgery. No, there's somebody who's going to do that. Now watch this. Here is slide number one. Spiritual definition of intimacy, right? This is the spiritual side of it now, okay? Look at this. Look at point, uh, point one. In- intimidation paralyzes us in the realm of the spirit. Hello? Intimidation paralyzes. Everybody say paralyzed. In the realm of the spirit. In other words, the spiritual fruit of intimidation, it seeks to stop you from doing something that you are supposed to do. Now, that can mean anything. That can mean your calling. That could mean witnessing to somebody. That can mean saying, hey, the Lord is saying, hey, I want you to talk to somebody about the Lord, and you freeze up. Or there's a conflict that you have to resolve, and you freeze up. Okay? Look at the next definition, the spiritual definition of intimidation. Intimidation, oh, this is powerful. Please hear this. You can take a picture of it if you want. Intimidation causes us, hear this, hear this, and if you're true with yourself, you would know that this is right. It causes us to compromise what we know to be right. Intimidation causes us to compromise. There's people that are still in unhealthy relationships because they're intimidated, too afraid to let that other person know. And so they're in compromise. 
Oh, come on, man. If you are in a compromised situation because of intimidation or because you don't want to deal with it or because you just don't want to upset the person, my friends, you are a slave to that intimidation. And I'm going to show you later through Scripture that whatever we are obedient to, we are a slave to. Oh, come on, man. I got three amens. Whatever you are obedient to, if you're obedient to lust, you're going to be a slave of lust. If you're obedient repeatedly to anger, you're going to be a slave to anger. If you're repeatedly obedient to people's opinions, you're going to be a slave to man. But if you are obedient to the Lord, higher, even, even if other people reject you, then all those other things, you will be a slave to righteousness. All right? So number three, now watch this. This is the third spiritual definition of intimidation. I, I, I just have three. The, the spiritual ones, okay? Now this is a good one. This is a good one. Intimidation causes us to allow or tolerate what we, under other circumstances, would not stand for. Intimidation, come on, am I, spe- is, am I right about this? Has anyone dealt with intimidation here before? Because you're acting like, <laughs> like a, all right. Uh, intimidation causes us to allow, watch this, or tolerate what we, under other circumstances, would not stand for. Think about this for a second. If you are stealthily bound by other people's opinion, if you're stealthily bound by not wanting to deal with conflict, if you're, if you're stealthily bound continually with things that uh, causes you not to um, uh, confront a situation that's negative or that needs healing, then this is what happens. You would tolerate things to keep on going that, of what you normally won't tolerate. And let me just say this. I'm, gonna, I'm going to shift gears because we're going to talk about two biblical leaders here today that ha- fall under what I call the fruit of intimidation. Say the fruit of intimidation. That means just because it doesn't say the word intimidation, by the very definition of intimidation and its fruit, you could tell by reading the whole story that these leaders that I'm going to talk to you about suffered from not dealing with things because they were too intimidated to confront somebody. And let me just say something. This is powerful. Whenever you as a person of authority continue to tolerate something that needs to be confronted, you just dictated the spiritual atmosphere of the place that you are authority over. That means as parents, if you're too intimidated of your children because you want to be their best friend and not tell them that some of the shows that they're watching are not healthy for your house, and if you continue to, re- to let them do what they want, then you as the authority have dictated the, the spiritual atmosphere in your home. And guess who the one is going to be judged with the most? Not the child, the one who is placed in authority. Woo. Now, I'm going to prove that to you. I'm going to prove that to you. So when leaders in the kingdom of God are being controlled by intimidation, it will severely weaken, it will slow down, and sometimes abort the assignment that God has for you. Think about this. Think about this. What have you not dealt with because of your silent intimidation that has been left on the back burner, and, this, and these people continue to run havoc on that, and you're just like, well, I'm just going to let them be because it's too much drama. You know what that is? That is a peacekeeper, and we've talked about that before. God doesn't want just peacekeepers just so you can say, hey, I have the peace, but they can still run wild and do whatever they want, and, and just, I just don't want drama. Be a peacemaker that's willing to confront issues in life to bring restoration and healing. Not just between you two, but to reset the spiritual atmosphere in your own home that's been so off. Now, now, I want to talk about somebody that I want you to, now I'm going to give you some scriptures here because I'm going to give you a really good Bible lesson today. All right, I'm going to give you some filet mignon this morning, okay? I'm going to talk to you about a leader named Eli in the Bible. Say Eli. Now, some of you guys know him. You've read the story. But Eli, it was a leader for 40 years in Israel. And I want you to hear me because I'm laying a foundation of why the spiritual climate, watch this. I'm going to shout by myself or you don't shout with me. The spiritual climate of Israel was the way it was because of the, the, the leadership, the spiritual leadership of Eli and what he tolerated and what he did not correct. 
Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay, let me give you a background of Eli. Eli was the 15th judge of Israel. You could do some study, okay? I'm just going to give you the recap. 15th judge of Israel, the seventh high priest, priest of Israel. And he reigned for 40 years. That's a long time in leadership. That's a long time in authority. And that's a long time in ministry. And the Bible says, and you can read... Uh, you can read it for yourself. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, in and during the tenure of Eli as priest of Israel, leader, leader, and judge, that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. Now, 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 now I want you to hear this, okay? The Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 you know what? Just put that up there if you can in the New King James. I don't know if I, I didn't give that to you, but it's in first chapter, first Samuel chapter three, verse one. The Bible says, During the many years of reign of Eli, the word of the Lord was rare and there was no widespread revelation. What does that mean? That doesn't mean back in those days they didn't have enough Bibles to give out. They're like the word of the Lord was rare. We don't have enough scrolls for you guys. So hey, you know, you know what you know what that means when the Bible says the word of the Lord was rare and there was no widespread revelation? Was the prophetic direction of the word of the Lord for that time and for that people and for that nation. It was the now word. You have to understand. I can't I can't imagine living a life of no current vision, no current prophetic direction, no current prophetic word of the Lord for our our our, our. Remember, Jesus said, man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, not proceeded out of the mouth of God. A religious spirit wants to hang on to what God says and destroys what God is saying and rejects what God is saying. A religious spirit is like, you know what? God said, God said, God said. But what is God saying? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. So when there was no widespread revelation, it was because, in other words, God was silent in many of the years of Eli in leadership. Why? Why was the word of God rare under Eli's uh, leadership? Because he dictated the spiritual atmosphere of Israel as priest and as judge, and he fell into the fruits of an intimidating spirit. And I'm going to read it to you. See, see Eli had these these two key leaders that happened to be his sons. And these sons were wicked. These sons were Hophni and Phinehas. And these sons were so wicked. I'm going to show you. And they were so controlling, and their characters were strong. They were strong-willed people. Let me pause and say this. The people that are strong-willed in your life, those, that's a test. That's a test for you. If you're friends with someone that's strong-willed, if you have a family member, we all have those strong-willed family members, right? And you do not want to talk to them or resolve a matter because of their strong willingness or their strong uh, willedness. I hate to say this to you, but you've just fallen under a fruit of intimidation. Doesn't mean you have a demon. Doesn't mean that sometimes you, maybe you do, but sometimes you don't have a demon because of that. But what I am saying is you are not even realizing that you're allowing intimidation to control you because you may, you may be a, a, a softer personality or you may say, I just don't confront people. But let me tell you something. You have to, you have to initiate something for healing. Now, now watch this. What we tolerate, put that slide up. What we tolerate in the form of intimidation will one day dominate. What you and I tolerate tolerate, okay, by giving in to intimidation will one day dominate your life. Now, I say that because why was the word of the Lord so rare in Eli's day? Look at this next slide up. I want you to put it up. The negative, this is powerful, the negative spiritual atmosphere in a place sometimes is dictated by what the leader or person in authority allows in that place. Oh, my goodness. The negative spiritual atmosphere in a place 
sometimes is dictated by what the leader or person in authority allows in that place. If I were to allow a lot of sexual uh, looseness in our church and didn't deal with people that are living double lives, are in positions of leadership, I just allowed a spirit of sexual promiscuity to reign because it's not being checked. And a lot of people will leave churches because you're holding them to a biblical, holy standard of living. And th- can I just say something? There's, there's pa- poor pastors. There are some pastors that are whipped by their, by, the, by their inability to confront issues because they want good music. Come on, somebody. They want good, good giver, givers. They want good whatever. And they don't deal with the immorality in the churches, yet their churches are packed. But you know what? There is a stealth thing that will happen in that atmosphere without him knowing it or not that will have rampant effects of negativity to continue onward. If you don't deal with that. Amen? So, so watch this. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel. <laughs> I give you a good intro, all right? 1 Samuel chapter 2.22. Now I'm going to jump around in Samuel so that you understand Hophnes and Phinehas, how wicked they were, how they did not have fear of the Lord. Now, now you need to follow me because those of you who are Bible people, you're going to say, but wait a minute. It does say in the Bible that Eli corrected his sons. And you're right. But just because Eli corrected his sons, that's not what God wanted in that situation. The Hophni and Phineas were so controlling, they so strong-willed that just because you you have a sorry, um, tell someone not to do it. If you are in a position of authority, and you tell your kids not to do something, and they continue to do it, and you just continue to be okay with them doing it because you said not to do it, you have just allowed that atmosphere to be uh, injected by their actions, and you will be held responsible for not. Listen, Eli gave Hophni and Phinehas a weak rebuke, and he should have taken them out of, out of leadership, but he kept them in leadership. Now watch this. You're going to see it, right? Look at this. Are you getting something? Now look at this. First Samuel chapter 2 real quick, verse 12 through 17, then we're going to jump down to, uh, to 22. There's two main things that Hophni and Phinehas did repeatedly with Eli's knowledge. Let that sink in. With Eli's knowledge, what do you know about that you haven't dealt with that's still going on? Now look at this. Now the sons of Eli, verse 12, you bit up there, NLT, were scoundrels, <laughs> scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or their duties as priests. Do you understand that these guys were priests? You understand that, right? Hophni and Phinehas were priests. Now look at this. Look at this, guys. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's son would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork, while the meat of the sacrifice, this is a sacrifice to the Lord, right? They were sacrificing the animals to the Lord, and these priests would get a three-pronged hooked, and watch this, while the meat of the sacrificed animals was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever was brought up in to be given to Eli's sons. Uh, all of Israel, watch this, all the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned at the altar. Now, if you read the, the Bible at those times, the fat of the, of the animal had to be boiled first to sacrifice to the Lord. You don't touch that, right? Listen, sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat. Listen to this. Before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting, the man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Now watch this. Then the servant of Eli would demand, no, give it to me now. Do you see this? Do you see this demand? Do you see how intimidation works? Intimidation works either by threats or by demands. No, give it to you. You better be quiet. You better not say anything. It's, it's the, no, you will not. Now look what it says. It says, no, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. I don't, see a, I don't see compassion in there, anywhere in there, right? I'll take it by force. By the way, they shouldn't even touch that. That was the Lord's uh, sacrifice. Watch this. I'll take it by force, all right? So the sin, everybody say sin. Say sin. Of these young men was very serious in the sight 
of the Lord, for they treated, oh boy, this could preach, the Lord's offering with contempt. Think about modern day. I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to even go there. They treated the offering of the Lord with contempt, saying, that's mine. I could do whatever I want. We do that with our money all the time. I could do whatever I want. That's my money. It's my money. No, it's not. If you look at it from a spiritual standpoint, the Bible says the earth is the Lord is the fullness thereof. He gave you that door for that job. He opened those things, and all he's asking for is 10%. As long as, oh, 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 this is good. As long as you see your money, your money, you'll, you'll have, always have a hard time giving. As, as long as you see money, this is my money. This is my. That's like me saying, this is my church. Everybody tells me, is this your church? I go, no, this is not my church. You're the lead pastor. No, no, but this is not my church. I'm a steward of this church, but this is not my church. The moment you say this is PG's church, you will be gravely disappointed. You will be very disappointed because now PG has to keep you happy 24-7. This is not PG's church. This is the Lord's church. That's not your money. It's the Lord's money. Now look at verse 22. So the first thing he said was, he's like, you know what? You're eating the offering that belongs to the Lord. These guys have no fear of God. Now I'm going to prove to you that they have no fear of God, right? And they're strong-willed. Now Eli was very old. Now I'm going to give you a little lesson here. But he was, uh-oh, 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 aware. Wait, wait, wait. But he was aware. I'm going to say that. Slow, but he was aware that his sons were doing what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. Intimidation does not deal with things. Look, listen, you, he knew, for instance, now here's another revelation. He knew, for instance, that his sons, oh my goodness, were seducing the young women who were assisting in the entrance of the tabernacle. Did you hear this, guys? Hophnes, Hophni and Phineas, they did two major things repeatedly. Number one, they took the sacrifice that belonged to the Lord and they were eating it for themselves. And in other scriptures, you will see that Eli himself benefited from that. He ate of that. His two sons did it, but he also ate of it. That means he's part of it. Right? And then these people are so intimidating, they were using their intimidation because they were the sons of the priest. When you're a son of the pastor and you're a son of the, of the president, you think you could get away with anything. If you're the, you're the son or daughter of the CEO, you're like, I'm the son of daughter CEO. If you mess with me, you get fired. You work for my dad. Right? And so it's fair to say that Hophus and Phineas used intimidation tactics by the authority. Guys, they were intercepting women that were going to the temple to worship God to have sex with them. The Bible says they were at the temple door. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's like somebody's out the door while you guys are coming to church worshiping God, and they convince you, they convince you that after service is over to go with them so they can, you can have sex with them. That's what was happening in Eli's leadership. Now, why do I bring this up? Because you will see that Eli got judged because he did not deal swiftly with the problem because he was intimidated. Let that sink in. Come on. Come on. Uh, this is for somebody. This is for somebody. And please, I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. Don't blame your personality for not taking action. Because you can still have a soft personality and take action. I've seen people that are incredible men and women of God. They're as quiet. I mean, PK is one of the, one of the examples. Don't let his quietness think that he, can't, he doesn't stand up for truth. He will lovingly and sternly confront things that need to be confronted. But yet his personality and my personality are night and day. I'm like, Lord, like if there's a fire, I'm like, there's a fire. He's like, there's a fire. Yeah, fire truck is coming. I'll be like, no, 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 hurry up. That's my, we have different personalities. But I've seen people that have bold personalities that use that as a cover-up to say, oh, they don't struggle with intimidation because they're bold. No, no, no. Just because you have a bold personality doesn't mean you're good with intimidation. Is this good? But here's a real sad story, guys. Eli knew that was going on. And Eli only gave his sons a light rebuke. And it's safe to say, because of Hophni and Phineas's character, strong character, they did not 
that they yield, that Eli yielded to intimidation and did not deal with them. Now, I'm going to prove some things to you, so just follow me. It's going to make sense, right? Go real quick to 1 Samuel chapter 3, the very next chapter. Look at verse 10 and 13 but in the New King James. Now, l- listen, listen, listen. I'm going to prove to you through the scripture that Eli, Eli corrected his sons. Because if you read chapter 2, you see he corrected his sons, right? Eli corrected his sons, but they, he did not, watch this, this is key, restrain them, restrain them to the point of taking them out of authority. They still had the authority to do whatever they want. And, and, and Eli kind of, because I used to struggle with this scripture, I'll be honest with you. I'm like, Lord, why are you so hard on Eli? He told his sons, that's wrong. But if you read, if you read other scriptures, you will see the hidden thing that Eli was bound with. Look at this. Now, now the Lord, verse 10. Now, that, by the way, this is beautiful. This is when the Lord was, this is another sermon, but this, this story is the famous story of when the, uh, the Lord said, Samuel, and he came to Eli, right? This is, this, this is that story. So the, 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 in this story, uh, Samuel still had not known the Lord yet. So in this story, in chapter 3, the Lord says, Samuel, Samuel, right? You know that story. And, and, and Samuel goes, Eli, you call. And Eli goes, go back to bed. I didn't call you. So he goes back to sleep. Second time. Samuel, Samuel. He's like, surely you called me. And he goes, go back to sleep. I didn't call you. Third time. Samuel, Samuel. And he woke up Eli up. And he's like, okay, there is something going on. I perceive that the Lord is talking to you. And he said, next time you hear that, say, your servant is listening, right? So the fourth time happened in this story. I'm just giving you a recap. Samuel, Samuel, and then Samuel goes, speak for, the, for your servant is listening. And then God proceeds to tell Samuel a prophecy against Eli, the priest, because of Eli submitting to, uh, to this intimidating fruit, the fruit of intimidation of not wanting to deal with this. Now watch, watch what he says to this boy. The Lord says this to the boy about his leader. The Lord came and stood and called as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone will hear it and will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Now watch. He's saying this to a boy. Now watch this closely to prove my point. For I have told him, Eli, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his son made themselves vile. Are you ready for this? And he did not restrain them. Wait. In chapter 2, it says that he corrected his sons. If you read chapter 2, he says, now, sons, this is not right. I hear what, It's not right what you're doing. You know that there's a difference between saying that's not right and then you taking authority to make sure it doesn't happen again? It's like saying to your kids, don't watch your favorite show anymore, okay? I'm going to go upstairs. And then they start doing it again. And you never really discipline them. You just said, don't do that. It's not really good, right? Now, the Bible just clearly says that, that Samuel, I'm sorry, Eli, did not restrain his sons. Though, if you read chapter 2, you will be confused because he said it's not good for you to do that. But Eli kept them in positions of leadership. That's why an intimidating person, if you're a leader over your home, if you're the a priest of your home, if you're under intimidation, one of the fruits of intimidation is that you may see, think it's wrong and know it's wrong, but if you don't do anything about it, it will continue to reign and you will be held responsible. And it will dictate the spiritual atmosphere of that place that you're in authority over. Think about what I'm saying this. Think about your own homes. Think about anything that you own, have authority over. What are you tolerating because you don't want to deal with things? Come on, come on, come on, come on. What are, you, what are you tolerating? And just like Eli, many people and many leaders fail to bring necessary correction, necessary loving correction, dealing with things with people, with their children, Listen, with, with uh, circumstances and allow a negative thing to reign, that's the fruit of intimidation. Look at this next slide up here. I want you to see it. You will serve who you fear, and you will eventually honor what you fear the most. I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture. I'm going to prove that, okay? 
So you say, where is that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. You will serve who you fear, and you will eventually honor what you fear the most. Now, now, somewhere in the middle of the story, this is what I'm going to show you. Somewhere in the middle of, of, of 1 Samuel and 1 Samuel 3, somewhere in the middle of this, a nameless prophet that doesn't have a name comes to Samuel. Sorry, comes to Eli, a nameless, a nameless one. They call him a man of God in the Bible. A man of God. He was a, a nameless prophet. He comes, he comes to Eli, and he basically says, you're honoring your sons more than you're honoring God. So that means there's proof that Eli said, hey, don't do it, but I still want your leadership. I don't want to deal with your tough, controlling attitudes. I don't want drama. I'm just going to drop it here. And you know what? He fell under that intimidating fruit, fruit of intimidation. And that is why the spiritual atmosphere changed in Israel, because this was happening for years. He tolerated this for years, and that's why the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Oh, come on. All right, you don't believe me. You're looking at me like I have some tomatoes. All right, look, 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 look. Then a man of God, look at verse 20, first chap, first Samuel chapter 2. Are you getting this? It's in your own Bibles. First Samuel 2, verse 27. Here's this nameless prophet that comes to Eli in the midst of all this. Now, let me ask you this. What if a nameless prophet came to you and said, hey, you're honoring uh, this person more than me? And you're like, what are you talking about? I told him not to do it, Right? That means that the Lord knows that he wants a little bit more for you to deal with that situation. You have to understand that Jesus did, just didn't say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm just going to forgive everybody right now. I don't even have to go to the cross. I'll just, I'm almighty God. I'll, no, he still had to go through the complete process of crucifixion, death, hell, and the grave raised up for us to have that justification. An intimidating person will sometimes, please hear me, please hear me, Sometimes unknowingly honor what they're intimidated by more than what they're honoring God. Now, I'm going to prove it to you. Watch. Then a man of God, say a man of God. He came to Eli and said, this is scripture, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when you were in Egypt and Pharaoh's house? Come on, keep, keep going. Now watch this. Did I not choose him out of all the tribe of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar? This is this prophet saying this to Eli. To burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. And did, and, and did I not give to you, your house of the Father all of the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Are you ready for this? Look at me. Look at this. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering? He's talking this to Eli. Which I have commanded in my dwelling place. Are you ready for this? And honor your sons more than me. Wait, wait. I'm reading from the scriptures. The man of God says, you're honoring your kids more than me. But wait, I told them not to do it, Lord. He says, that's not enough. You're under the fruits of intimidation. You're under their control. You're under their manipulative ways because they have their strong-willed people and sons, and you didn't deal with it. Look at this. And honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat selves. That means including Eli. You made yourselves fat. You knew what was going on, Eli, and you ate the steak and the, and the meat that was supposed to be offered to the Lord. Look at the next verse. Therefore the Lord God says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your fathers would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. For those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now, I want to say this. You will eventually be a slave, like I said before, to that which you fear. If you fear man, you'll be a slave to man. But watch this. If you fear God, you'll be obedient to God even at the expense of them ridiculing you and shunning you. You will be obedient to God. Now, I want you to see Romans real quick. Real quick, Romans chapter 6, I believe. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Now, watch this. Do you see the fruits of intimidation? Come on, rave at me. Intimidation has a fruit it has a manifestation. Now, I want to say this because I, I, on my way here, it's like I heard a voice uh, that said, well, there's nowhere there in the, in the scriptures that said they were intimidated. Well, neither is there a, a, a time uh, um, when Peter was drowning. He said, help. But he didn't say, I am afraid. But Jesus interpreted his lack of faith instead of, instead of saying, why are you uh, uh, lacking faith? He said that. When Peter was drowning, he said, why were you afraid? 
So nowhere in the story did Peter say, I am afraid. Yes, he was drowning, and it could, be, it could be deciphered by his actions that Jesus interpreted the help as, you're afraid. But if you actually read that scripture, he, did, he goes further. He says, why did you doubt? Now, now, nowhere in the Bible that says, now Peter doubted, and therefore he sank. The Bible says he looked on the, at the waves instead of Jesus, and he began to sink. Yet Jesus interpreted that manifestation. Hear me, because I could know people who say, well, where, where is their intimidation? The word intimidation doesn't appear here, but the fruit of intimidation is all over this. All over this. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Now watch. Look at Romans 6, verse 16. Don't you realize that you become, come on, shout at me, slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. All right? Now, I want, this is going to sting a little bit. I want you to see this. This is not a knock on anyone's personality, but it's a reality if you're continually yielding to intimidation. Okay? Are you ready? Look at this next slide. The fear of the Lord produces strong confidence. The fear of man produces uncertainty and passivity. It got quiet here. The fear of the Lord produces strong confidence. The fear of man produces uncertainty and passivity. You know what the definition of passivity is? It's not really a personality. Passivity, by definition, is failing to take action. A person who fails or delays to take action. I've had charismatic people that are loud as a firecracker that, that fail to take action on things. And I've had people that were really quiet that took action on things. Passivity is not a personality. Passivity, you may have a, a, a passive personality, so to speak. But the definition of passivity, especially spiritual passivity, is when you do not take action on things that you're supposed to take action in. That's called passivity. Now, so, so do, you hear, do you hear what I'm saying? And so intimidation pers uh, person sometimes honors what and submits to what they're intimidated by with or without them knowing about it sometimes. Sometimes they don't even know. Sometimes they don't even know that they're yielding to this. But guys, this has been a stealth killer in the church. If you are honest with yourself without raising your hand, you will realize that, wow, while I'm speaking, you, you identified moments in your mind and in your life that you've been intimidated by somebody. And maybe you didn't call it intimidation, but now that you're hearing it, now you realize, wow, there was the fruit of intimidation for many years of my life because I did not want to talk to this person. Or I did not want to resolve to this person because I am so, I don't like the drama it produces whenever I try to talk to this person. Not quite in the Methodist church here. but Now, here's another one. I'm going to close with this one leader. So we're talking more about, about authority figures, meaning parents, people uh, in general that have a sphere of authority, that your sphere of authority will actually, it can enable the enemy to do something if you don't deal with things because of intimidation. Do you hear me? Do you know that another person, I was shocked when I read this, Moses, it's safe to say, Moses had the fruits of intimidation of his wife, Zipporah, when he was in the backside of the wilderness because of something that you see. I'm going to show you something that when I read this, I'm like, I have never read this in my life. Do you know that there's a place when God revealed himself to Moses and that Moses said, okay, I'm going to give you a backstory. So Moses in the backside of the desert, 40 years, right? And so he sees his bush. You guys know Charlton Heston, the movie, you know, he comes out. He, <laughs> and so he, he goes to this, to this bush that's burned. And he says, I want to turn and see this site. And the Lord God reveals himself. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Basically, he gives Moses a history lesson of the Abrahamic covenant. He's like, I am the Lord. This is what's happening. It's, and, and, and even though it doesn't say it word for word, you will see in other supporting scriptures that in that time with God, do you realize that every, every little detail and every word in that time with God was not recorded? Right? It would, be, it would be books. So he was up there for days being encountered by God. And during that time, God told uh, Moses, hey, you're going to be the person that is going to be the deliverer for my people that have been bondage for 400 years. Me, and if you read it, this is what I love about Moses. He didn't want it. You know how some people want ministry real bad? He's like, could you pick another person? 
literally in the NLT, he's like, could you please pick another person? He goes, but I don't speak very well. Don't worry, I made the mouth. But, but could you please use someone else? And then the Bible, the Bible says that God got a little angry. He goes, listen, Aaron is going to be with you. He'll be your mouthpiece. You'll be my mouthpiece to God for him, and he'll be your mouthpiece. How's that? Okay, fine, I'll do it. So he was kind of called into that. So, so watch this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of like do a little modern day analogy, okay? So I can imagine Moses coming down from the mountain, and he's got that look, you know. He's got that glow look, that soul glow, you know. So he's coming down the mountain, and his face is like, and Zipporah goes, babe, what's happened to your face? She's like, babe. He's like, babe, I met with God. And God revealed himself, babe, that's awesome. And he said, me, I'm the deliverer. I'm the deliverer. The ones that, you know, 400 years, he's chosen me, and I can't even speak right. Wow, that's amazing. And then I can imagine Moses saying, yeah, but there's, there's just one thing that he, it's kind of weird, but he told us that we have to do. What is that, Moses? Well, he said we have to circumcise all of the males, including our own boys. What's, what's circumcised? Well, it, it, it's like, you know, from what I was told, uh, you, know, you just take a knife and cut the foreskin out of the male's private parts. And that's, that's well, wait a minute, but there's no anesthesia. No, no, you just have to do it even to grown men. No, 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 I'm, I'm not, I, I know this sounds funny, but I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me because I did not get this until I read the whole story, okay? I, I didn't get this. Somewhere in between that story that you do not see verbatim in Scripture, so I'm going to just say that. You don't see it verbatim in Scripture. Somewhere in there, Moses failed to be obedient to what God told him to do. Now, wait a minute. You say, how was he? He was saying this to his family. He's coming down. The Abrahamic covenant, we got to circumcise people. And the Bible says that when Moses was on his way to Egypt, that the Lord stood in the midst to kill him. What? What? Is, is God double-minded? He just told them that you were going to Egypt. Yet God is standing in the middle saying, okay, you're about to die, son. Now, why? I, I struggle with that. Why would God say, I chose you to be my deliverer, and I'm going to kill you? You're going to find out by what Zipporah does that caused, I believe, Moses to be intimidated by Zipporah and refuse to be obedient to God. When you're intimidated by someone, you fail to be obedient to God. Okay, I know, I know. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you. Now watch this. Exodus chapter 4. I'm almost done, but this is good stuff. Exodus 4. Are you getting something this morning? Look at verse 20 in the NLT. Look at this, guys. Look at it for yourself. Don't, don't believe me. Look at it for yourself. So Moses took his wife, his sons. That means he had sons. Okay. Put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. That means he got the call of God. He got the confirmation of God. He got the instruction of God. I am the man. God is using me. But I will not want the drama with my wife because she saw all the other guys screaming. Do you remember the, the book of Joshua after they got circumcised and they were waiting on three days? They weren't waiting on the Lord. They were in pain. I'm just waiting on the Lord. No, I'm not. I just got circumcised. Adults got circumcised. They were like. <laughs> Look it up. Joshua, the Bible says right after they got circumcised, they waited three days. They weren't waiting on the Lord. <laughs> now watch. Watch this. Remember, God explained the Abrahamic covenant to Moses. You got to circumcise. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Look at this. Look at it. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. Watch this. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. Oh, here's Moses. He's thinking he's obedient to the Lord. Oh, man, I'm going. I don't want to do the circumcision thing because I don't want to deal with my wife. Come on, man. You know what I'm talking about sometimes. I don't want to deal with my wife. She just saw those people screaming. She's probably saying, there's no way you're going to do that to my son. But, honey, we have to. When the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Keep going. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my first son, firstborn son. Keep going. 
Israel is my firstborn son. I command you, let my son go so he could command worse, uh, to, to worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. Now, now look at how things change all of a sudden. It means, it almost, if you don't know the backstory, you think like God is like, something wrong with God here. Now watch this. On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses, his family, had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. I bet none of y'all ever saw that scripture before. He was told to go to Egypt, and he was going to Egypt, and the Lord says, I'm going, listen, the word kill in the Hebrew is kill. There's no hidden, like, well, maybe he was, the Lord was there to kill Moses. Keep, no, keep that scripture up, guys. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep that scripture up. Now watch this. Look at verse 25. But Mo, no, no, verse 25. Now watch this. Wait, look at me, look at me, look at me. Don't, don't read it yet. Zipporah saw that the Lord was there to kill Moses. And she goes, you know what? I'm just going to give this man what he wants or else my husband is going to die. How do you know that, Pastor George? But Moses' wife Zipporah took a flint knife, come on somebody, and circumcised her son. Wait, that means her son was not, it's proof that the son was not circumcised as the Lord wanted to. Now watch this. Now watch this. And she threw it at the feet of the foreskin at the feet of Moses and says, you are bridegroom of blood to me. In other words, here, you finally get what you want, you husband of mine. I don't want you to die. Now watch this. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Look at the next verse. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. Very clear. After that, the Lord left him alone. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. After that, the Lord left him alone. Do you guys see what I'm saying? The Lord was there to, to kill Moses because he refused to obey his word above his wife's. And his wife said, look, here, finally. Could you imagine? That's a graphic thing. To, but he just, just took a flint, flint knife and on the spot cut the foreskin of the sun, threw, threw it at, at Moses and said, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. The Bible says after that, the Lord left him alone. Why did the Lord leave him alone? Because Zipporah finally gave in and was obedient to what Moses what was told Moses. Now, here's a revelation, and then I'm going to have the worship team come in. I'm going to ask you a question. Did God come to kill Zipporah or Moses? You know why? Because, are you ready for this? Because God put Moses in authority over that family. And God spoke to Moses, not Zipporah, even though Zipporah refused at first to do it. And then when she, when she saw the Lord come to kill him, she was like, you know what? This God is serious. You don't know what happened. Maybe she repented, but she, she did the circumcision herself. Listen to me, please. Listen to me, please. And at that moment, come on, worship team, you guys could come up. At that moment, the Lord left him alone. Do you see this? I said, do you see this? The Lord, the Lord called Moses to be the head of that home. If you are the head of your home, I'm talking to men here, guys for a second. What are you allowing in your home because of intimidation? What are you allowing in your children because of intimidation? Ladies, what are you not dealing with in your own family, in your own life, in your friends? Listen, in your family because of intimidation. What are you allowing? It's proof that as leaders, we dictate the spiritual atmosphere by what we tolerate. Can I hear an amen? And I'm done. I'm, I'm done. This is a very important principle. So Eli and Moses were in positions of authority, and they both experienced the fruit of intimidation. How many can relate to this? Come on, how many can relate? Okay. As, as the, the worship team starts playing something in the back, I'm going to ask you guys this. Look at this, Victor. Look at, put that, that, that last um, slide up. Our disobedience through being intimidated will ultimately lead us to feeling discouraged in the Lord and possibly missing the assignment of God has for us. I'm going to read that again. Our disobedience through being intimidated will ultimately lead us to feeling discouraged in the Lord. <laughs> How many have been intimidated and, uh, uh, and, and really have given into that intimidating thing in your life and you just felt discouraged? Why? Because you're failing to be obedient to the Lord. Guys, it could be anything. It could be a calling. Right now, maybe it's something that you've been too scared to do. 
Maybe it's something that you don't want to do, but God is telling you to do. I want to have a clue for you here. Just because it doesn't feel good and just because you don't want to do it doesn't mean God didn't tell you to do it. A little lower on the, on, the, on the keys, please. Thank you. Two types of fears. Godly fear and the fear of man. I want to challenge us today as a church to start taking authority over intimidation. I want to start encouraging you to stop delaying your calling because of fear. I want to encourage you to stop delaying the restoration process in an individual because you want to avoid drama. I want to encourage you that if you're in a position of leadership, if you're in a position of authority in your home, in your job, in a ministry, take your place. Come on. Take your place, not with an iron fist, but take your place and address areas that you've been weak and intimidated to deal with and move forward. The beautiful thing about God is once you repent, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you. Guys, relationships are out of order. And I'm going to, this was not in my notes, are out of order because there's so many people and so many men that are yielding to intimidation in their life. Ahab was the king, but Jezebel wore the pants. Ahab had the title but Jezebel had the authority. Now I'm not, okay, I know this is like a little, little hard on some of you guys. You're kind of looking at your, that's not my goal. My goal is not for you to do this. My goal is for you to do this. How is he speaking to you? Me. Intimidation is a silent killer because it deals with threats of people. I want you to stand up. Come on. We're going to pray and we're going to get out of here. I want everyone to just lift up your hands right now. Alicia, just lead us into a song right now. I want us to close our eyes and ask God, is there areas like Eli, please listen to me, like Eli or Moses that were trusted with positions of leadership that you are, have failed to confront, have failed to deal with because of the personality of a certain individual. The Lord's saying, get that right right now. I feel that so strong. Get that right now. The Lord says, be a bearer of truth. Confront intimidation and release yourself. And listen, listen, listen. Dictate the godly spiritual atmosphere that God intended you to do. In your home, come on, say amen. In your relationships, in your church. Come on, lift up your hands before the Lord. Our worship team is going to sing something. And I want you to think about this message before we let you go and how the Lord wants you to deal with this. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.